According to a study in 2019, two out of every three Americans said that they were either anxious or extremely anxious. That's a great stat, right? Two out of three said they're either anxious or extremely anxious. And that was in 2019 before a worldwide pandemic and shutdown and isolation. And these numbers have only gotten worse. Gen Z and the generation after, which is known as Gen Alpha, are suffering at the highest levels. One study shows that as many as 91% of high schoolers and college students are suffering from significant levels of anxiety associated with stress. Is that true over here, guys? Look how anxious they are. They're just, now they're nervous. I'm going to invite each of you to come up here and talk about it. That would have made you nervous. That's what they say, that public speaking is the number one fear that people have. And uh, I'm just scared to death up here right now. But anxiety is the new pandemic. Isolation and fear and all these things around us and our unhealthy pace and the fact that we distract what's going on or distract ourselves from what's going on in our mind and in our body constantly by media and entertainment and our busyness. We can't sustain this. We aren't meant to live at the pace that we're living right now. And Christians have not been at the forefront of understanding and helping people with suffering, with this mental suffering. And if we aren't careful, we can begin to be believe these myths that Jesus' people don't suffer with depression and anxiety or that God doesn't care about our mental health and that you should just push through it and grit your teeth and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and dust off your knees and get back to work. But God does care about what's going on inside of our minds. God's word vividly depicts people who loved Jesus and loved God, but were depressed and anxious. Now, I'm not an expert on this subject, although I do have experience with it in my personal life. But if you feel like you are struggling, I encourage you to talk to a professional and to get help. Sometimes the prescription is something as simple as getting a better uh, sleep pattern going or more exercise, less noise and more silence and uh, less distraction and more stillness, a better diet. Sometimes it's things simple as that. I was going through a time uh, like six months ago where I was just like super anxious all the time. And then I looked at my caffeine consumption and I was drinking like three big gulps a day. And I was like, oh, maybe this is part of the problem. I'm just like, you know. Sometimes it's as simple as that. But there is a spiritual side to anxiety and depression as well. And we need to create habits of positivity and faith and hope rather than negativity and worry. Because negativity and worry can wreak havoc on our lives. You probably know someone like this, that... It doesn't matter what good thing happens, they're always going to find the negative. And sometimes it's such a leap, it's insane, right? And you're like, how did you find something bad out of this? You know, oh, puppy saved from a sewer drain. Huh. It'll just going to get stuck again. You know, we live our lives this way. And if you're like, oh, I don't really know anybody that, it's probably you that's like that. <laughs> See, there's a spiritual side, and these these. Patterns of negativity and criticism, they twist and warp us. And these habits make us different than who God made us to be. 
But the good news is, is that we can create new habits and healthy rhythms that can train our brains in more positive ways. The word fix in English has two meanings. It means like to lock on to something, like a train is fixed in a direction. And it also can mean to repair something that is broken, like uh, he fixed the lock or he fixed the clock. So what we're asking God to do is that we would fix our minds on him so that he can fix our minds. And when we push past our thoughts to focus on him and who he is, he can make our minds healthier and help our thoughts to thrive and retrain our brains to trust him. So whether you're never struggling with anxiety or panic, or it's occasional, or it's daily, God cares about you, and he wants to help. There might be many different solutions, but the spiritual side is always going to be a piece of it. After God brought Israel out of uh, Egypt into the promised land, they had many kings. Some of them were good, and some of them were bad. But one king that was good was Jehoshaphat. The Bible tells us that he took after the leadership of his great ancestor, King David. And if you were at Mount Zion uh, with us a few weeks ago for their 156th anniversary, you know a little bit about the passage that we're going to look at today, which is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you want to jump there in your Bible or pull up the app uh, in uh, look in the notes sections, all these verses will be in there. They'll be up on the screen as well. But this is after King Solomon's reign. And after that, Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was known as Judah. During the time of the king Jehoshaphat, Judah was trying to please God, and they were putting away idol worship and instead worshiping God. But all of a sudden, enemies were surrounding them, attacking them on every side. And it was three different enemies that were attacking them, all at once. And the king and the people were afraid. Now, I can handle a bad boss, right? But what about when it's a bad boss and a flat tire and a broken refrigerator and it's all happening on the same day? What are you supposed to do then? You get stressed out. You get scared. But Christians are supposed to be calm and peaceful all the time, no matter what happens, right? Suffering mental anguish many times is not a sin. Things happen. You're human. You're not a robot. God made you with emotion. It's it's okay to feel things. It's okay to mourn and grieve. And it's okay to not know what the future holds. We say, Pastor Phil, prove it. Well, Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's suffered mental anguish, and he was someone that knew the future and was still in agony. He literally sweat drops of blood. That's how much pressure was on him in that moment. He wasn't looking forward to the experience of being tortured and mutilated and killed on a cross. And he felt that pain. And he knew every detail of what was coming, which might have even made it worse. But ultimately, he went through that agony for you and for me to bring us back to the Father. See, spiritual anxiety for us is a symptom. How many of y'all right now have a little warning light on your dash that's been on for like six months? Yeah, you're the ones we're talking about today. The ones that have the propensity to ignore problems rather than deal with them, 
Now, to be fair, my gas light has been on for like two days. I don't drive my car very much, and that's the problem, is I always forget. But this morning, I'm like praying that I'm going to make it to church without having to be picked up on the side of the road. But see, that light isn't the problem on your dash. The light itself isn't the problem. And some people are like, well, why can't I just like turn it off somehow? The light isn't the problem. The problem is something else. And the light is a warning that something is wrong. And just like that little warning on the dash of your car that tells you something's wrong and that it's time to deal with the problem, our anxiety is that same way. But too many of us ignore that signal and we end up broken down because we push through and distract ourselves with other things rather than dealing with the issue. And if you've ever left that check engine light on for very long, you know eventually the problem gets worse. And that's what happens when we ignore our anxiety. It causes long-term and catastrophic damage. So anxiety is a signal. It's a warning light that you need to do something. And the first thing you need to do is you need to pause. Anxiety is a warning light that tells us it's time to pause and to investigate. Why do I feel panicky? What just happened that set off a warning light in me? Did I stir up some trauma that's in my past? Is this pressing on other issues that I haven't dealt with yet? Sometimes I've left conversations and I think about the words that were said and I'm like, well, it wasn't that bad. But then I think about how I feel and I realize this has made me feel bad. I don't feel right. So what do I need to investigate? Oh, someone else said that to me a long time ago. And when they said it to me, they meant it in a very hurtful way. And I have that warning light of anxiety that pushes back to something else that maybe I haven't dealt with yet. Now, sometimes the, pro- the, the, the problem that we're anxious about is obvious, like getting surrounded by three armies of your enemies. We see that in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, come against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Eden, from beyond the sea. This big problem was coming, and it was obvious what it was, but it's not always so easy to pinpoint the source of our anxiety, and sometimes the solution is for you to get quiet and to get alone and to remove distractions, maybe take a walk in the woods and and investigate what's going on in your heart and ask yourselves some questions. When did this start? What just happened? Why do I feel this way? That warning light of anxiety is trying to tell us that it's time to pause. And next we're going to see that it's also time to call out to God, to be still and know that he is God. That's the second thing. It's not only time to pause, to investigate what's going on, to listen, to make sure God isn't trying to tell us something. And then it's time to pray. It's time to take your problems to the one that is in control. God, I praise you. I trust you. I give you control. Jehoshaphat did that in this next verse, in verse 3. 
It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. God, we're being attacked by a three-headed monster. God, I'm afraid. I'm looking towards you. And King Jehoshaphat says, I don't have the answers, God. So he gets the whole country. The king says, hey, look, we're all going to fast and pray and seek the Lord. We're going to take this problem seriously because if we don't, if we ignore this problem, it's going to be devastating. And the king then gets up in front of everybody and prays a beautiful prayer before all the people in verse 6. The king says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, the judgment, pestilence, famine, then we'll stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. King Jehoshaphat saying, God, we're trying to please you. We're getting the sin out of our lives. We know that this isn't consequences for our sin. And God, we're where you want us to be. So if disaster comes, we'll stand before your house, the place where you are worshipped, and we are going to cry out to you, and we can be confident that you will hear us and save us. King Jehoshaphat is reminding them whose they are, who they belong to. God, we are your people. This is your country. We worship you in your house. And we're following you. We're trying to do what's right. And we know that we're lost without you. We can't do this on our own. God, we are your children. We are your responsibility. And you can cry out to God just like that in the middle of your problem. Sometimes all you're saying God, to God is, help, help. God, I, I don't know what to do. Dr. Caroline Leaf has done some extensive research on how prayer affects the brain. She's a neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology. And this is what she says. It's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. That's exciting, right? Because not only does prayer touch the heart of God, it can change the chemistry of our brains. And we can make our brains more spiritually healthy. We can change our brain habits. And that's some of our issues that some of us have been told or we've told ourselves that this is just the way that we are and we can't make any difference. So we just lean into, well, I'm just a worrier or I'm just an angry person or this is just who I am rather than making small changes that will make big differences. And we can change our brains. And that's good news because my brain likes to go to the worst places possible and stay there and camp out 
and come up with the worst scenarios. And the more we think those thoughts, the easier those thoughts are to think again. But see, when we fix our mind on the Lord, He can fix our minds. And prayer breaks that worry spiral. And prayer can interrupt that doom scrolling of not knowing what's going to happen. And prayer can reverse those bad vibes in us in a relationship. In verse 12, Jehoshaphat cries out in prayer some more. He says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And here's some important parts. He says, We are powerless against this great horde that is coming up against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Some of us are self-proclaimed fixers. And those same people are probably the ones that are also consumed with anxiety. You think if you just Google one more thing, or you just talk to one more person, or you just research a little bit more, send some emails to people that you could fix all the things that are going on in your life. But Jehoshaphat doesn't say, we need to look into this a little bit more. Everybody bring out the books. Everybody, let's start some committees and get some things moving. He says, God, we are powerless against this. We don't know what to do. But he doesn't end there. He says, so our eyes are on you. This great and powerful king bows his knee to God and says, we have nothing, we have no power against this enemy, we have no answer, and we are looking to you for help. Can you imagine today's politicians if they would admit that they had no answers, right? No power. You'll never meet a politician that doesn't believe he has the answer to every single problem. And he's the only one. And if you don't send him some money, the whole world's just going to explode. And yet, how short memories do we have? We, you know, they got elected before, or they did this before, and we're still right where we are, and maybe worse. What if, as a people, we looked to God and said, God, we have no answers. We can't fix this. Our only hope is in you. All eyes are on you, God. God, we can't handle this. We're freaking out. And without you, we're lost. See, this is what it looks like when we do what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to do. To cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Casting is a fishing term, right? Tossing, heaving, chunking those cares. On God. Y'all say chunking up here? Is that just in Georgia? Chunk something in a trash can. He says to cast our our cares on him. Why? Because he has got this. Instead of training our brains to dwell on the negative, we need to cast our anxieties on God. That doesn't mean that we're detached from what's going on in reality. It means we understand the problem, we know that we don't have the solution, and we put our faith on God to fix the problem. Why? Because he can handle it. It's okay to admit, God, I'm scared about the future. I'm worried about my finances. I'm nervous about my job. What's going to happen in my marriage? How are my kids going to turn out? 
and our heart rate rises and our muscles get tense and our chest gets heavy. Anxiety is a signal that it's time to pause and it's time to pray. Sometimes you got to put down the hammer and the wrench and stop trying to fix everything and instead stand still and fix your mind on God. Sometimes when we do this, God can deliver us from that anxiety in an instant. Other times it's a process, changing habits. But the truth is, is that God wants to be involved. Craig Groeschel says, God cares. And if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Husband, what if you stopped a conversation in the middle of it when you're both worried about something and said, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough for us to pray about. Wife, if what if you stepped in? Hey, kids, teenagers, what if you said to your parents, hey, I know this is big. I know this is a problem, but it's big enough for us to worry about. And if it's big enough for us to be negative about, why don't we pray about it? Friend, in your relationship, at your job, maybe you can't lead everybody in prayer. That's okay. You can pray. It's time to pause. It's time to pray. And next we see that it's time to praise. See here, they set their eyes on God. They said, all eyes on you, God. In verse 13, it says, meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. And in the midst of the assembly, he said this, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. They set their eyes on God. And here we're going to see these worshipfully, the sons of Asaph, the sons of Korah. These are the people that would get up and they would lead them in these songs that would retrain their braids to put their faith on God. And they get up. And the worship leaders in the temple came out. And they begin to tell the people that God is going to fight this battle. Don't be afraid. Verse 17, he goes on and says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. The worship leaders come up, and they had the people praise and celebrate this victory before they even fought in the battle. And he told the people the same thing that Moses told the people back in uh, uh, the people of Israel, back at the Red Sea. He told them to fear not and to stand still 
and to see the salvation of the Lord and that the Lord would fight their battles. And the people fell on their faces and worshiped. And the worship leaders stood up with a loud voice and sang praise before the victory ever came. And the next day, the king sends out the singers to battle instead of just the warriors. Worship team, are you guys ready to go out and fight for us? And they sing with a loud voice. And this is what they sing. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast uh, love endures forever. Before the battle even is fought. But why aren't they scared? Why aren't they sitting alone in a room somewhere consumed with anxiety? Because they decided that they had no answers. And their eyes on the Lord because he was the one that was going to fight their battles. Before the enemy even gets to the battlefield by a miracle, they hear the singing and they get scared and the enemy starts killing each other in confusion, fighting amongst themselves. The people of Israel never even had to pick up a sword. The enemy was defeated. Bodies were everywhere. It takes three days Uh, Kind of morbid thought to think about, but three days for the people of Judah to pillage all the goods from those armies. But in response to this victory, the people of God got their instruments and they praised again and they went out to all the surrounding countries and, and the word went out that how their God fights his battles for his people. And the fear of God spread throughout the land. The battle was won. God gave them rest all around. Martin J. uh, Selman says chapter 20 of of Chronicles here contains one of the outstanding stories, not only in Chronicles, but in the whole Bible. It describes, first of all, a unique victory for Israel. Though on other occasions, God enables Israelite forces to be victorious. Here, the credit is due entirely to God while the army is reduced to the level of spectators. We see that sometimes God is going to fight for us. Other times they went out and they had to do things and they had to get ready and they had to prepare and they had to obey God. But here we see an instantaneous victory. But either way, we need to understand that we don't have the answers. The people were afraid, and the king was afraid, and the army was afraid, and all of them admitted that they didn't have the power to fix this, but God fought their battles, and they had rest. And sometimes that battle is fought in the battleground of our mind. But when we fix our minds on the Lord, He can begin to fix our minds. Pause. When that warning light of anxiety comes up in your mind, pause, stop, don't ignore it, get alone, have some silence, take some deep breaths, pause, and pray. Take your problem to the one that can fix it, and then praise. It takes faith to praise in the middle of the storm. It takes faith to say, I'm not going to think about this anymore, I'm going to delve into scripture, and I'm going to lift my voice and sing truths about God's word, and I'm going to do it before the battle 
He's even one. And when that anxiety is flashing red on our dashboard, don't ignore it. It's time to pause and investigate the where and the what and the why and ask yourself some questions. And it's time to pray because prayer can change our brains. We can think on the right things and that will make us a healthier person. And it's time to praise. God wants to help you. And you need to make sure and investigate that you didn't get here by disobeying God. And these aren't the consequences of your sin. But once you figure that out, if it is, repent. Get it right. Run to the Father that will forgive you. There's no reason not to run to Him. The distance between you and God is all on you this morning. But once you figure out that that's not the problem and that you have been trying your best to follow God, then you can be faithful and you can have faith and know that he will fight on your behalf. God wants to help you. Whether that's an instantaneous fix or through hard work, you're not alone. Praise God. Pause and pray and praise and go leave on your work break and turn on some worship music and lift up your voice and fight the battle. The battle is not mine, it's his. God, our eyes are on you. And celebrate that victory through some biblical, scriptural worship music. Through some prayer time of praying, God, I know that you are the one that made me and that I have value and that I have worth and God, that you care about me and I am your child and I'm your responsibility. God, I've got no answers. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Philippians 4, 6 tells us to don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. How can we not be anxious about everything? That doesn't mean just try to make yourself not anxious. That doesn't work. It will only make it worse. Instead, every situation, taking it to God through prayer and petition and thanksgiving and reminding God who he is and reminding your heart who God is and present your request to God. And then peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is how we fight our battles. Pause and pray and praise, even while you're in the storm and the battle's still in front of you. Pause, pray, and praise. Let's start that right now. Let's bow our heads right where we're at. Take a minute. What's that thing this last week that set you off? What's that thing this morning when you're trying to get your kids in the car that set you off? These warning lights in us. These things that are around us. It's not the problem. It's a signal that there is a problem. Worship band's going to pray, or excuse me, play real lightly. Let's just pause and listen and ask ourselves some questions. What's going on 
in my mind. Is there anything that I'm ignoring? Is there any problem that I'm not dealing with that's causing a low level of panic, anxiety, maybe depression under the surface? What is the thing that I'm worrying about? Once you identify some of those issues that you need to deal with, you can pray like Jehoshaphat prayed. God, I am powerless against this. God, I do not know what to do. God, my eyes are on you. God, I'm going to cry out to you in the middle of this problem. And I know that you're going to hear me and I know that you're going to fight for me. this knowledge, I'm trusting that you're going to fight it, and I don't need to be afraid. God, I know this battle isn't mine, it's yours. Maybe God hasn't led you to where you're at right now. It's you been running out in a direction that's far away from God. Maybe you got yourself into this situation. Maybe your pride has kept you from fixing a relationship with somebody. Know that you need to just go and, and ask for forgiveness, but you won't do it. Maybe you made a, a choice and you have started habits in your life that have led you to where you're at right now. There's no better time than right now in this moment to give it over to God. Say, God, forgive me. I got myself here. 
I need your help. And like the prodigal son running back to the father, even though it's on you. Yeah, other people may have participated in your demise, but there is only one person that you can control, and that's you. You can get things right between you and God right now. Because God is a loving Father. It makes no sense why He forgives us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But He does. God is good. God is love. God is the picture of forgiveness. And all the punishment that we deserved, all the consequences, the eternal separation between us and God was all put on Jesus' shoulders. He died in our place. So now we can run to God knowing that there is no condemnation between us and God. Maybe you haven't yet started your relationship with God. You understand that you're a sinner. You know that you need God and that you can't work your way or do enough good deeds to get to God. But if you have never put all your faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save you, then you're not yet in a relationship with God. Because until we accept that gift... And we're still carrying the consequences of our sin on our shoulders and the punishment. And God can't fellowship with sin. He's a perfect and holy God. But because of Jesus Christ, we can go directly to him. And you can make that happen today once and for all. You can accept that gift. You can call out to God with something like this. And the words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. But you can call out. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I put all my faith in what you did on the cross to save me. I repent. I'm turning from everything that I held on to holding on to you. Save me. If that's you this morning, that's the most amazing decision that you can ever make. It's not something you have to pray every morning. Jesus died once and for all for you. And the Bible calls it everlasting and eternal life. No man can pluck us out of God's hands. That includes me. When you put your faith and trust and you accept that gift, that is a turning point in your life. It's the biggest decision that you could ever make. And if you did that today, I want to encourage you to write that on your connection card so that we can come alongside you. One of our pastors reach out to you and talk to you about the beginning of this amazing, beautiful adventure. Just write that on your card before you pass it in later. I choose Jesus. So we've taken a little bit of time to pause, taken a little bit of time to 
pray. By no means is this enough. This needs to be part of your daily rhythm. And now we're going to take a moment right now to stand. Heard everybody's joints creak all at once. We're going to take a minute to pray. (coughs) Pastor Phil, you don't know what's going on in my life. Doesn't matter. God's bigger. You don't understand what I've done, what has gotten me here. Doesn't matter. Praise right now, in this moment, before there is victory, lift up your voice and see what God can do.